Welcome to the Fostering Change Podcast, Season 3. I'm Rob Shear, the founder of Comfort Cases and your host. Together, we have made such a difference in the world. We've met with leaders and change makers in the foster care system. We've met with charities and philanthropists, celebrities, authors, and so much more. We'll continue to bring you guests who will share how together, as a community, we can bring about change. Welcome once again to Fostering Change. Well, here we are, another exciting episode of Fostering Change, and I will tell you, I have been waiting for this guest. Um, I am so lucky with what I do for a living now. As a public speaker and someone who is an advocate for children in our foster care system, I get to meet some of the most amazing people. But when I met my next guest, I just knew that it was meant to be. You know, I hope all of you tuned in in December to CBS because you heard me talk about it. You heard it. You saw it all over my social media pages. But, you know, CBS does this amazing show with the Dave Thomas Foundation and with the Children's Action Network and a home for the holidays. You know, as a kid who grew up in the system, I talk quite often about I don't remember a Christmas tree. Um, there was never a stocking hung. And that's why for me as a father of five kids, Christmas is so, so important. So I do hope that you got to tune into that show, but we're going to talk more about this. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to welcome my friend, Jennifer Perry, who is the co-founder of Foster More. Jennifer, welcome to Fostering Change. Thank you. It is a pleasure. And as you mentioned, I'm, I've been looking forward to this as well. The last time we talked, we felt like we could have talked for days. So uh, it is great to have the opportunity to do so again. Your story is so compelling. Your work is so compelling and your spirit is so compelling. So I'm super happy to be here this morning. Well, you know what? I will tell you, Jennifer, I absolutely love what you guys are doing. And this is the reason why. I come from the dot-com world. So for 27 years, I was a banker. And to me, dot-coms are the takers and the dot-orgs are the givers. And I was one of those takers. It was all about my bottom line. And then when I got into the, the dot-org world, and I realized that there just weren't enough you know, charities, nonprofits working together for the common good, um, it really worried me. And then all of a sudden, Foster Moore popped up. And it did exactly what I have been wanting to see happen, where you are bringing all of these nonprofits together for the better good of a child in the foster care system. Can you let my listeners and viewers know, how did that happen? Well, first off, you're hired because I've never heard a better articulation of the reason that we founded Foster Moore. Uh, my co-founder and I, David Ambrose, saw a need for, as you said, sort of a central hub in this space. Child welfare is foreign and confusing to most of the public. They, those who haven't had any experience with it, it is, it's off-putting, it's difficult to understand, and it can be sort of forbidding if you want to learn more about it and want to get more involved. So Part of the motivation behind Foster More was how do, create, how do we create an open space where people who want to learn more about foster care and about the youth in foster care and foster parents, a place where they can go one click and they can learn about what foster care is, about how they can get involved. And one of the, one of the elements that was really important to us in terms of people getting involved was to create rungs of engagement. Again, you've got people who aren't necessarily familiar with foster care, but I want, they want to do something. So you give them an easy way to come into the system so that if they are not ready to become a foster parent, they can be a mentor or they can create 
a comfort case or they can um, be a foster parent. So you give them a myriad of ways if they want to help to sort of um, take that first step into helping youth in foster care. You know, I will tell you, I have used your website so many times and I've used it to give it to other people um, because I find it just absolutely a wealth of knowledge because you and I both know that, you know, if we do not educate our community, we can't expect a brighter future for tomorrow. And educating our community when it comes to foster care is something that I feel we have lacked in so many ways. But by your website, you know, going on there, it is so easy to navigate. You go down, by the way, everybody, I'm telling you, visit it, visit Foster More. If you have a question about anything, whether it's, you you know, how do children enter the foster care system? How can I support them? You know, Jennifer, I say this quite often, not everybody's meant to adopt or be foster parents, but every single one of us have the ability to do. And I think you've definitely taken that with your co-founder and given us a navigation of how we can be doers. We can actually be doers. So how do you think that you, since you started Foster More, have you seen the the entire um, development of how things are changing with nonprofits working together? You know, it's a really good question. And I want to go back before uh, the founding of Foster More and sort of tell you when I first started doing this work in the foster in the foster care area, you know, 20 some odd years ago, or as I say, when dinosaurs roamed the earth, um, it truly, truly foster youth lived in the shadows. I mean, this really was an entire population of youth that people were not aware of. And what we felt is so important to tell their stories. And that's what Home for the Holidays, as you mentioned earlier, that, that was the impetus for Home for the Holidays. This idea of we have to bring these youth into the forefront, tell people that a youth in foster care is just like their own child, is just like the child next door, is just like their niece or nephew, they want to play soccer. They might need some tutoring. They, they want to know where the toothbrush is, you know, every night. They want to come to a home with permanency and love. They want someone to, um, you know, walk them down the, the aisle at graduation, at their wedding, holidays. And I think really at that time, people really weren't thinking that way. So when I started doing this, there wasn't the same level of awareness. And I think a lot of the groups working together have had a huge impact on that. You referenced the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption. The work of all these groups coming together has made a real difference in moving the needle on awareness. And the wonderful change that I've seen in the last five or so years is the coalescing of all the groups working together. There is a moment in time that you and I are both enjoying where these groups have really come together and are working together in ways they have not before. And there are some wonderful, innovative new efforts. Um, I, when I think of one that, that we worked before, um, think of us, probably familiar with them, looking at, you know, to your point, really how to bring sort of the resources of the dot-com world into uh, child welfare. So what we're seeing is kind of the, um, almost the apex of this moment of all these groups collaborating and you're seeing the difference in, in programs and resources that are directed towards these youth and child welfare. You know, I love the fact of what you said about the fact that each and every one of these kids just want, and to my opinion, is a foundation of love and just unconditional love. You know, so many times we think about foster care and I've heard people say this, um, you know, aren't those bad kids? You know, and I have to remind people that kids come into foster care because of choices other people make. They come into foster care because of other choices 
they've made. The other thing I also knows about Foster Moore is something that we have been pushing for nine years is our vocabulary. You know, when I meet kids all over the country, um, quite often they say to me, we don't want to be called foster kids. We want to be called kids in foster care, kids who are experiencing foster care. And I, you know, and I've, I've had this conversation with other people and they're like, well, they are fo foster more has truly started to help change that vocabulary across all of these nonprofits and these child welfare um, systems where we're not labeling these kids like we used to. No, and you're right. And you're absolutely right that it's one of the important changes is the shift from saying foster youth, because that is too defining, too constraining, too confining to youth in foster care, because the latter reflects a moment in time, a moment in a lifetime, not the definition of an entire lifetime. And I think that's so important. And you remind me of one of the things I've also seen change over time, which is because of the misconceptions and the labeling so many youth in foster care did not even want to reference the fact they've been in foster care because of the huge stigma associated um, with foster care. To your point, these assumptions that people had, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Um, you know, these kids are difficult and dangerous. And sorry, this is going to be a long answer, but it's one of the things we did at Foster More was look at how to recruit more foster parents but we did some focus groups to sort of, you know, flesh out what attitudes were. And in those focus groups, we found what you and I knew intuitively was that people had tremendous misconceptions and misconceptions about youth and care. In fact, some of them were even afraid of the youth. And that was heartbreaking because you and I know <laughs> there is nothing to be afraid of. There is everything to be nurtured and taken care of and, you know, and, and to realize the possibility that nothing to be afraid of, but that, that attitude was prevalence and overstatement, but, but very much apparent within people in the, you know, larger, larger world who really weren't cognizant of who the youth are. Yeah, I have to agree with you, Jennifer, on that 100%. And I still am seeing that so many times that that fear um, of a child who is been in or from foster care. And by the way, you know my story. And you, I was embarrassed. I was ashamed to let anyone know that, that I had any associations with foster care. Um, and then when my four, first four children arrived, from the system, you know, there was a bit of a shame that I don't even really tell. I think the first person you know, I've told is you at this point. There was a little bit of a shame with me that I was so sh ashamed because here were these beautiful kids who just wanted an opportunity to have what all of us parents should want, which is a bright future for our children. And, you know, I, I the one of the things that really concerned me during this pandemic, you know, is that I have heard about the numbers dropping and and um, but what now, now we're seeing is that the numbers are actually increasing um, when it comes to kids who are in our foster care system. Um, what are we going to do about that? You know, I think it's a really good point because, you know, during the pandemic, the mandated reporters that these youth normally come in contact with, they weren't um, by definition. So we are seeing an uptick. And I, one of the other reasons is the opioid crisis um, that is driving so many youth into the system, ones that hitherto really weren't coming in contact with this system. And I think, what do we need to do about it? 
we need to keep the drum beat going. We need to um, get our the public and our legislators to recognize that these youth, people say it all the time, but it's so true. These youth are our responsibility. Their future is ours. We hold it in our hands. And if we don't hold it and look at it and see all the possibilities there, well, shame on us. So I think really in answer what we do, we all keep doing the work that we're doing and we amplify it and we raise it up even more because it's already making a difference. You are seeing policies statewide and at the federal level um, that are directing resources toward these youth in a way that was not happening previously. And I think in particular, the pandemic, one issue that the pandemic has exacerbated is the challenges faced by youth who are aging out of care uh, because they truly have no safety net. And though we need to be looking at that population, which is about 25,000 every year who are coming out into the world and some of them looking straight off the edge of a cliff in terms of the resources and the support and uh, the things they need to realize their own futures. Oh, let me tell you something. You you are beating the drum that I talk about often. You know, the fact is, is, you know, I love the stages when my my babies arrived, you know, my youngest was six months and then having two two year olds and a four year old, you know, that was it's kind of been kind of cool watching them grow up. But I will tell you, it changed my life completely in 2019 when my son Alex at the age of 18 arrived in my home, because what you just said is exactly how he described it, that he was on a cliff, age, getting ready to age out and was and didn't feel like he had anywhere else to do but was to jump. And, you know, for me as a kid who aged out and was homeless, I, I get that. You know, one of the things, Jennifer, I, I think that we could do immediately, and I, I've, I've talked about this and talked about this, is we need to set these amazing humans up for financial success. You know, and I think that we could do that. I think that if we're able to pay a stipend to a foster parent, explain to me why can't we take some of that stipend and put it in an interest bearing savings account for when these kids do age out? And by the way, I'm not saying write them a check at 18 because my son is now 20 and I would not write him a large check even as a sophomore in college right now. But but to give them that safety net, why wouldn't we do something like that? I think that's an excellent idea. And people are starting to do it in small measure. There's a couple of places in California where they're looking at this. And you're right, because if if we don't um, give these youth the tools for financial literacy, they're not going to make it two years out, five years out, 10 years out, right? And you have to remember, as you well know, this this population comes is sort of pushed out into the world without the life skills that our children have, your, your former foster children, my former foster children, um, they start with not quite a blank slate, but almost a blank slate. So the ability to give them the resources and the tools to actually utilize those resources is so important. So agreed. I think that, that you make an excellent point that pro- providing additional financial support for these youth that is um, couched in teaching and learning and, and you know, in basic skills is a really good idea. I know that the Margaret Casey Foundation couple of years ago started that started a program like that in Michigan I think it was which was savings account for you savings accounts for youth in foster care and what we should do is take those programs and make them a national program for every single youth um, who ages out of care 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I feel like it's it's a win-win for our communities, you know, for our future is, you know, I, I remember, you know, when I got my first checking account, I, I was probably, I was 20 um, and I didn't even know how to write a check. You know, it was something, you know, when you don't have parents to guide you, to teach you that, or, you know, I was one of those kids that, oh, you, I can get a credit card, you know, give me a credit card, but nobody told me, oh, there's an interest to that. I just feel like there's so much that we lack um, when it comes to supporting our kids for their future, for their future. You know, when you look at the statistics, only 54% of kids in foster care actually graduate from high school. You know, as well as I do, if that happened in your school district or my school, district, um, we'd have the superintendent's head on the platter. But instead, we see 80% of our prison inmates have either been in or touched by foster care. Why do you feel like that that is just the norm and that's okay? I think because no one was thinking about the, no one was applying common sense. I say a lot of child welfare policy um, is a big duh. You know, it's like no one was, (laughs) no one was thinking commonsensically, is there such a word, that if you take a population of youth who've had a traumatic childhood, no supports, and you put them out into the world with no supports, their outcomes are going to be terrible. Uh, and it's only really been in the last 15 or so years that people started thinking that way. And again, no offense to the child welfare world, but duh, I mean, it's, what do you think is going to happen? So, uh, I, you know, part of it is, part of it is the youth voice is speaking up. Part of it is, is, is many more intervention programs. Um, the good news is there's more supportive housing than there than there used to be in the state of California, where I sit. Uh, there's been a big allegation for uh, supportive housing at the community colleges, um, which is huge because so many foster youth avail themselves of the community college system. Um, you, what we need to create is a real, truly bound together patchwork quilt of all these programs so that the, so that each youth is covered irrespective of, you know, what the, what the challenges are. Oh, I agree. I agree. You know, I, the, the two things that I will tell you immediately, number one, set them up for financial success. Number two, open up the education pathways. And when I say open up the education pathways, all of my um, listeners who, who sit on Capitol Hill, it's not about paying tuition. Okay, it's about wraparound services, housing. Um, you know, one of the things recent I have done through our organization at Comfort Cases is we give a scholarship out to several kids who age out of the system who have chosen to do higher education. And by the way, all of those um, kids are listening. Going to a trade school is higher education and be proud of that. Not everybody's meant to go to a four-year college, you know, but one of the things that we always give them, Jennifer, is we give them a key to our front door because there's a young boy that I will never forget who, you know, busted his butt to get into the University of Rochester. And um, lo and behold, at Christmas time, they closed the school down and everybody had to leave campus. And I remember he called my husband and I and was like, you know, I was like, well, what do you doing for the holidays? And he was like, I have to go to a shelter. And I was like, what? And he was like, I have to go to a shelter. They're closing the school down and we can't stay in the dorms and we can't stay on campus. I said, Esperon, there's a key that I gave you and it works and I will have a train ticket waiting for you. How could we fail our youth like that? Because you know, once they get into that shelter life, getting out of it is hell. Yeah. And I mean, you're right. One of the, and I think, to your point, one of the things we do, some 
some of the educational institutions do this, like the Guardian Scholar programs do a good job of recognizing the particular youth needs of youth in foster care that are there, but it needs to be universal across the board. Dorms should be open during the holidays for youth and who, former foster youth who don't have anywhere to go. That should be something you and I could work on together because it makes so much sense. And people just don't, they don't think about it. I don't, and again, contingent on us to start telling those stories more to make people understand that for some of these youth, that dorm is their home. That dorm is a lifeline. And you cited a statistic about high school. We look at the fact that 70% of youth in foster care aspire to some kind of second, higher secondary education three to 5% end up achieving that. And that's criminal. Um, and part of that is the, the barriers like the wraparound services because they are one meal away, one flat tire away from not being able to finish their education that they have basically um, defied all the odds to get there in the first place. So. At, at Fostermore, we, we um, also award some scholarships because to your point, it is the gateway to a future. And it's a really, it's an issue that I think everybody can understand. Education, everyone understands the need for an education. And so being able to afford these youth in foster care, the same educational opportunities as, other, as they had or people in their family had is something that really resonates within the greater public. You're exactly right. Hey, listen, everybody, I am so excited to be talking to my friend, Jennifer Perry, the co-founder of Foster More and the Children's Action Network. We're going to take a quick break and get back. And as you can tell, this is a long segment. Jennifer and I could talk forever. So get ready for part two. Comfort Cases is now partnered with Clean the World, an amazing organization dedicated to water, sanitation, and hygiene. Clean the World operates recycling centers across the world, Hong Kong, the Netherlands, Las Vegas, Orlando, and including our nation's capital. They are leading a global hygiene revolution. They are distributing recycled soap and hygiene products for more than 8,000 travel and hospitality partners. Clean the World has made the decision to donate hygiene products to comfort cases so we can place them in our cases. These products are so important to our youth that are entering foster care. You know, having their own brand new hygiene product really means a lot to them. These donations will truly give these kids an amazing feeling of self-worth. I want to thank you so much, Clean the World. And for more information on how you can donate, please visit their website at cleantheworld.org. Well, I will tell you, the first part of this um, talk, and I don't even want to call it an interview because it's, it's you know, talking with my friend, you know, has been absolutely amazing. And it's been so educational. You know, I started this podcast um, almost three, it's been three seasons, over a hundred and, you know, 20 some episodes, but it was for one reason. And that was for us to start to talk about foster care, to talk about the fact that something that I was ashamed to talk about, um, that I know it made people uncomfortable to talk about it. Because remember, you know, in our minds, for some reason, um, that F word, and I'm not talking about the dirty one, but that F word called foster just made us think that those were those 
bad kids. And, you know, what my friend Jennifer has done um, as the executive director of Children's Action Network and the co-founder of Foster Moore has been absolutely amazing to me. It is to, to see so many nonprofits get together and so many other resources. You know, Jennifer, I have to tell you, you guys have been doing a campaign and I absolutely love it. And by the way, I follow you on social media. I follow Foster Moore. I am obsessed with your website and all the knowledge that it can help people get. But but it's, you know, donate your small talk, you know. And I think, you know, as a business owner and someone who has staff, um, I know what that small talk is. Can you let our listeners and viewers know what this campaign's all about? The whole idea behind the campaign is we all engage in small talk. Back in the day, we engaged in small talk around the water cooler and the elevator, sometimes in the grocery line. So the idea is how do you capture that moment and use it to raise awareness about foster care? So A plus ad agency came up with the idea. Um, I wish I could claim credit because I think it's so brilliant. And, and they looked at this and said, how can we get, um, convince everyone, we, we all have the skill of small talk to use that small talk to raise the bar on awareness about foster care. So the, the PSA campaign that we created is based around the small talk that you have in events in your life. One of, one of, one of the ads is in a tire shop. Um, another is at an office meeting. And the idea is that you go, you're having small talk. And instead of talking about the weather, you say, you know, did you know there were four, more than 400,000 youth in foster care in this country? And someone thinks about it. And that opens the door to a further conversation about foster care. And it's so simple and so brilliant because it's a tool that everybody has. And it, we can use that tool to advance this very, very important cause. And it's, it resonates. It, it's, it really has captivated people. And we see that in the responses to it because it drives people to our website where they can where they can find that, that ladder of engagement, more information about the system and more ways to get involved. I absolutely love that. I love the fact that, you know, you're right about the small talk. And and sometimes we need to talk about things that are a little bit uncomfortable. You know, kids who are in the system, aging out of the system, coming into the system, you know, it, as you said it earlier in our in our last part, and I say it quite often, they're not your kids, they're not my kids, they're our kids. And and if we start thinking of that mindset that they are our kids, um, maybe we could possibly see a different outcome outcome when it comes to their future. You know, one of the things that I love about Foster Moore is that you all are really big into telling stories, you know, making this real to people. Um, I remember, you know, back in the day before social media was out, you know, I, at that point, I still wasn't telling people that I was a kid from the system. But do you think that, you know, we get all this bad press about social media? Do you think that social media has actually helped us when it comes to kids telling our stories about the system? Absolutely. Um, and I think what you've seen is a proliferation of all these organizations using social media like Instagram, like Facebook, because it's, it's an unfiltered forum for, their, for them to tell their stories. And you're seeing youth who prior to this weren't comfortable telling their story. Part of it is we, we've created a more, a more receptive platform with all the work we've been doing, but also 
the ownership of their stories when they're putting them out on social media, I think is really important. They're telling it, it's theirs. It's not censored through, and this is no ding on newscasters, but it's not censored through reporter. It's not, it's not filtered, it's, it is their story. And I, so I think it's really important. And then another way that it's been interesting is um, we, uh, we have a campaign to recruit foster parents uh, because we had a huge crisis in LA in terms of the numbers of foster parents. We felt that using social media could be a good tool um, to recruit foster parents. So what we've done is uh, a digital campaign on Facebook and they are, they are targeted ads to people who might potentially want to become foster parents. And what's interesting is how effective they've been. This was, this was a bit of a, um, you know, it was a leap. No one had done it before. We're like, why don't we use this new tool? As we, as we say, why don't we use big data for good uh, and see if we can address this crisis by, by, again, providing a new tool. And it's been really effective, but Harkening back to what you said about narrative, one of the reasons I think it's been so effective is the ads that we use for that particular campaign are stories. They are stories of people who have adopted from foster care and a story enables someone to place themselves in the narrative. That's why I think it's so important. It is a great way to get people involved. And our Home for the Holidays show does that. It tells the stories of people who've adopted from foster care. It enables people to say, you know what? I could do that. That could be me. I'm going to look through that door that I had to look through before. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, I agree a hundred percent with that. I, you know, I, I love the fact that with children's action network, you know, you using that power of entertainment, you know, which is so powerful. And we all know that um, we see it in elections. Um, we see it in so many things that change and in, in, in the graphics of our, our, you know, entire picture of our lives is so much to do with entertainment. How, hard was it to get entertainers on board? Because one of the things, and, and the reason I asked that question is one of the things that I noticed, you know, and I, I'm starting to see a little change is, you know, we have a lot of entertainers that have been touched by foster care and that have been in foster care. And for many, many years, they didn't say it. They were like me, they were embarrassed. But all of a sudden we're starting to see them open up, you know, our Tiffany Haddishes and, you know, um, people talking about the fact that even Steve Jobs was in foster care and, you know, Ice-T. And, and um, have you seen that, that the level of entertainment of people are starting to say, okay, I wanna talk about this and I want to use my voice for a good cause and to help. You see that happening? Yes, absolutely. And, um, you know, as each brave person steps forward, it opens the door for thousands more. Uh, and that's what's so great about it. And you're absolutely right. I think for the longest time, people were like, that's not a part of my story that I want to tell because people might judge me for it. And now, you know, thanks to people like you, thanks to people like Tiffany Haddish, Simone Biles. I mean, there's been there. Now it's like, this is a story I want to tell because I know that you will now see me as a person of great possibility. And it's a story that I want to tell because it will inspire so many of these other youth um, to not feel ashamed, to come out into the light as it were. So yeah. I think, you know, there's, and obviously what Tiffany Haddish has been doing, she's so outspoken about it and she's, she's creating programs for these youth and it's, it's making a real difference. And I think we will, the more the merrier. Uh, it's a great trend. 
I agree. You know, Jennifer, do you think that you'll ever have a conference where you bring all of us together and sit like at a round table and really dissect what's happening within our foster care system? And, you know, because that's one of the things that I feel that we truly need is to, to come together and let's start really talking about it. And, and everybody pick, especially the low hanging fruit, I feel, you know, do you think that that could ever happen? Now it will. Oh. <laughs> that was a really good idea. But you know what? We should live by our own words. Um, one of the taglines for Donate Your Small Talk is talking about foster care can help foster care. So I, I guess we should, you know, pay attention to our own motto. I think that is a great idea because, again, there are so many more voices in so many more arenas. Um, people tapping into different resources, different platforms, and I think part of it working collectively is we want to keep changing the narrative. Um, but I'm not sure in this community, everyone is as cognizant of others work as they could be and how they can build on it. Um, as you mentioned earlier, we collaborate with the Dave Thomas foundation for adoption on one project. We collaborate with so many, so many groups. And part of the reason foster more was created was to become this big tent, this entity where ideas could be shared, resources could be shared, uh, and knowledge could be shared. And we actually have just introduced on the Foster More website um, a platform for exactly that. If you're an organization, I don't say what you're doing, if you need volunteers or you have a resource for foster youth so people can go on, people serving foster youth can find out about resources they might not know, um, people who need volunteers. So there's that that cross connection. Uh, so, so. All right. No, well, I I agree. well, should we plan for 2022 or twenty twenty? I was going to tell you, we got to get a plans because I will tell you, you know, when I when I when I spoke to Rita at the Dave Thomas Foundation, very much like you, the same energy where, you know, she wants, um, you know, people to help each other. And I'm a true believer in that, too. I'm like, you know, I was kind of shocked, as I said, when I came from the dot com to the dot org, how many people were all on different islands. And I think a lot of that. And again, I could be totally wrong. I'm just from from looking in in the last nine years is it's everybody's so worried about their donor, you know, and somebody, a donor might give to another organization. And, and um, I have a friend of mine, she has a nonprofit and it's for mentoring youth who are aging out of the foster care system. And um, the other day I was talking to her and I said, oh, by the way, I sent you an email and she opens it up. She's like, this is your grant list. I said, yeah, I said, these, these are all the places we get our grants from. She's like, why would you share that? I was like, because there's plenty of money to go around. And that's something I think that we need to get together and all talk about is the fact is it's not about taking your donors, but it's enriching and making our foundation of nonprofits stronger for kids in foster care. And the thing that gets me, because I get on the soapbox, because I get so like passionate about if children and the youth and our foster care system see us all working together don't you think that that would shine light on them working together with other people? Yes, that's another very good point. And, and I think you're right. One of the things that is slowly shifting in the donor community is there's, there's more, there is, there are more donors for the longest time. There were very, very few foundations and donors that were funding work in, in foster care, because again, it was relegated to this sort of little, you know, pocket in the shadows and, more and more foundations are stepping up and we see there's quite a few in LA um, that have formed, you know, a coalition working together, but across the country, more and more foundations. So it means the resources are greater. And I think you're right. The organizations working 
have recognized that there's more cross collaboration, but we need to do more. We need to encourage more funders. What we all really would be really wonderful is to find a company um, who adopts this as a cause marketing uh, campaign. That because that would be huge in terms of bringing this out to the broader field, helping fund all those scholarships you and I know that are so desperately needed, helping keep those dorm rooms open, helping furnish those dorms. I mean, we could go on and on and on. Um, you and I could could talk about spending that money for another four podcasts. Uh, but supportive housing, I could go on. Uh, yeah, no, and I believe that it's our corporate responsibility. You know, I truly believe it's the corporate responsibility. And I, be, I do also believe, because we have not talked about foster care for so, so many years, people are scared to put their toe in the water, you know? Um, and we notice that as an organization, but I will say that it, I truly believe and my organization is proof of that in nine years where we have delivered over 150,000 comfort cases. And the first seven years, we had no corporate sponsors. And we did this because if you teach your community a problem and you give them the tools of how to fix the problem and educate them, they will come around and do it. I truly believe that. You know, they will come around and do that. And that's why I think it's so critical that we have podcasts like this, that, you know, people visit Foster more and see how they can be involved. Um, you know, the fact is, is that don't sit back and complain. Um, jump in the water and put your toe in it and be doers. You know, if there's anything that you could say to someone who's sitting on the fence, and I'm sitting talking about the 100,000 plus kids who parents' rights have been terminated. They're sitting there waiting for a forever family. Um, if there's anything that you could say to someone who is sitting on the fence as we end this, what would you say to them, Jennifer? I think I would say that you can be that person. You can be that person that meets that youth or that child and says, oh my God, you're an amazing human being. You've made it this far. You must be resilient, you must be strong, you must be optimistic, you must be resonant with possibility. How can I be involved in your life in some way that helps you realize all of your potential and puts you on the path to a warm, happy, and successful life? I want to be that person. Help me be that person. You know what? Couldn't said it any better. It's exactly the way, you know, I felt when I met my son, Alex, um, and my other four children. You know, I'm so proud that they picked me and they picked my husband and we won the lottery, Jennifer, you know, with our five kids and we're not done. But I'm going to tell everybody, listen up, you know, visit Foster Moore, you know, keep following Foster Moore. There is so much more we are going to do. And by the way, do not forget and we're gonna be pushing it toward the end of the year, is stay tuned for this year's, you know, Christmas special on CBS, because it's so important that each and every one of us understand that these children, our children, are our future. Jennifer, thank you for this amazing talk. I cannot wait to see what we do next, and I believe it's going to be a lot. Take care, everybody. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for the opportunity and all that you do. I want to say thank you to each and every one of you for listening or watching the latest episode of Fostering Change. All of us on our team hope that you've learned something new today and have been inspired to be a good human. 
Now, just a reminder that you can always find Fostering Change on your favorite channels on Google, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, and others including, of course, ComfortCases.org. I want to give a big thank you to all of you for joining us each and every week. And a reminder that if you have a suggestion for a guest, or maybe you might have a question about today's podcast, or are interested in becoming a sponsor of Fostering Change, please don't hesitate to email me personally at fosteringchange at comfortcases.org. Now, that's it for now. Thanks again, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Take care.